Sunday, I had, and when my wife gets something, gets a word from God, I always listen because I know it's real. And she told me that uh, she really felt impressed to ask him to come in February. So I didn't know whether we could get him in February, but you know, we did get them. And uh, he'll be here the 25th through the 28th of February. Uh, so it'll, you know, it's not that, not that far, believe it or not, it's not that far away. Um, so he's going to be here during those dates. And I just, uh, Brother Cisco is a church preacher. He's not, he, I mean, people get the Holy Ghost. We had some get the Holy Ghost, of course, but he's just not a, uh, what you would call an evangelist. He's more prophetic uh, than anything else. And he's just he's really good for the church, good for me. And I feel like that every time we have him, the church grows and we do, we, we make some, some big steps. And I, and I just feel like that just, uh, I go along with my wife, that we'll make some, some great strides when he's here in, in February as well. So let's just be praying about that and uh, seeking God for, you know, for direction when it comes to him being here. Now, along with that revival, I just, just to, I got to be careful how to do this. I I love teaching. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, anytime you have a prophetic ministry um, of any type, and you have a series like we've had here this past week, you will get people who feel calls or uh, feel anointings in particular gifts, and that's good. You know, that's what it's all about. But God really impressed me here the last couple of days that I'm going to teach this because along with prophetic gifts, you have to have humility. And, uh, you know, I've been on a series called Values at Last. And humility is how I, I really feel like that we need to, to touch on this and we need to get this in our spirit because no matter how big you build the building, if your foundation is not correct, it can crumble. And we have to have the right foundation. There's a lot of people out there bantering around prophetic utterances and talking about God said this and God said that. You better know that God said it before you ever mention it. And the only way to be assured of that is to know that you've got a good basis in humility and you know that you've got that. And it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And, you know, it's one thing to say that. It's something else to live that. It's real easy to say this is all about God, but just how many how many times is it really all about God? All right, if you would, Matthew the 18th chapter, verse 4. I don't even know if I gave you that. I probably didn't. I did give you that? Good for you. Matthew 18, verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself... As this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Let's raise our hands to the Lord one more time. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. I pray, God, that your wonderful anointed word could go forth here this evening, Jesus, and forever be held within our hearts, be engraved upon our hearts, God, this evening, I pray. Let, let anointing, let understanding, Jesus, let it precede the word, let it open us to your word, and let us, Lord, be to the point where this word will so 
deeply be embedded within us that it will never leave us. I pray, God, right now, in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. A dictionary defines humility as the state of showing a consciousness of one's defects or of being lowly or unpretentious. Okay? Being aware of your defects or being unpretentious. Now, in order to understand anything, especially when it comes to a word like humility, you have to first understand what it is not. You have to first understand what it is not. Because so many times, uh, you know, we, we oftenly, uh, we often, oftenly, we often mistakenly think sometimes that, uh, that virtues are understood by what you see, by visible symbols. Uh, and humility is no exception to that. Now, I want you to understand this. Virtues of any kind are not always understood by what you see. But rather, we have to understand that virtues is how a person lives. It's what they do day by day that matters. Again, humility is not just what you see of a person. And let me give you an example. Humility is not... A certain mournful look on your face. It's amusing sometimes. I've seen this, and I, 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 I. Do you realize how many times, as a pastor, you have to, you have to act like you don't really know what's going on. And then there's that part of my own lack of humility that the pride gets a hold of me and it makes me look at people and think, do you really think that I'm that stupid that I don't understand what's going on? <laughs> it's kind of amusing to see some assuming what they obviously perceive as the look of humility. Now, the look of humility, watch me closely, is the scrunching of the eyes. Don't ever do that in front of me. That's not the look of humility. That is the false look of humility. All right? Casting down the eyes. And that doesn't mean that somebody's humble when they do that. Because somebody's countenance has very little to do with humility. You can practice a look and you can get very good at practicing a look. In fact, America is full of actors. California has one for a governor. We used to have one for a president. <laughs> Humility is not a certain tone of voice. It's equally amusing to hear the humility tone of voice. It's like, it's like this. You, you, you got all these people around. Wow, you, you prayed four or five through to the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I did, didn't I? And all of a sudden it hits you. You've got to be humble. So you get the look. Yes, I, I did. Now, this is a tone now. Yes, I did. But it was my wife's prayer behind it all that made all the difference in the world. 
It was Sister Evans behind that person laying hands on them. You know, come on, how many's ever heard that? Huh? Huh? You ever heard that? <laughs> so it's a certain tone. You know, it, it's, it's, they've got to be sure they're not boasting about their accomplishments. So they've got to get that, that tone and get it right. When in truth, what they're doing is they're practicing boasting by acting like they're humble. All right? Humility is not self-put-down. Putting oneself down, making light of one's talents or gifts, is not humility. Some, some seem to think that they're very humble when they constantly deny that they are capable of anything. I've heard, you ever heard that one? You know, they're, they're humble because I can't do anything. You ever heard somebody, every time you ask them to do something, well, I can't do that. Somebody else can do that better than I can. That's their, their, their self put down. Uh, and that's not humility. Uh, in truth, if they can do a certain job, yet say that they cannot do it, joking about preferring their brother or making some other light remark, they've not demonstrated humility, but what they've demonstrated is falsity. If a person can but says they cannot, then what has he done? He's lied. And humility does not even enter into the picture of somebody who lies. That is not humility. Now we're putting out what it is not. Humility is not self-punishment. In the Philippines, around Easter time, they get a imitation Jesus put him on a cross for real. They take stainless steel six-inch nails that's been stored in alcohol, and they crucify him. In fact, in some areas of the Philippines, they do it, and South America as well, in both, both areas they do it. But in some areas, they get several men, and they say that, that the person who is the holiest can take the pain the longest. Now, I've studied this a long time ago, and you'll see it every so often it comes up. They'll have several people crucified, and the person that can stand it the longest is the one who is the holiest. Now, I'm not talking about something fake here. I'm talking about driving stainless steel nails through their hands and through their, through their feet. And to see just how long they can take this. This is in some, some way, this, this, this lets you know how humble they are. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says self-punishment has anything to do with humility. And we can do that not in the sense that I'm speaking, but our own self-flagellation, if you would. We walk around beating ourselves on the back. Beating ourselves, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, this makes me humble. I'm going to punish myself and punish myself for all the bad that I do. Listen, friend, Jesus Christ took stripes upon his back so that I don't have to take stripes upon my back. Jesus Christ was crucified so that I don't have to be crucified. I do not have to punish myself because he carried every bit of the punishment of the world upon the cross. And for me to try to take it lightly and to try to imitate him in any way, oh yes, sir. There's times I'm crucified with Christ, but I'm crucified up here, not in a literal sense. 
For someone to say, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live not I, but Christ liveth in me. They're not talking about a Savior being put on a cross. We're talking about what we have to give up in the, in the spiritual sense. What we have to give up of the world. Not a sense of uh, punishing ourselves by putting ourselves through something that we don't need to. I've always seen that as a sense of someone trying to make light of what Jesus did for me. Jesus suffered unheard of pain on the cross. Jesus suffered unheard of pain in His mind and in His emotions. And for us to think that we can be equal to that is the heart of foolishness. You know, the idea of penance, the inflicting of self-punishment to show repentance has, uh, for wrongdoing does not find its basis whatsoever in Scripture. It does not. It is not an expression of humility. Now, to seek a definition, I want you to pause with me just a moment, and I want you to consider something. Let's consider humility's opposite. That's pride. Pride is given to us as a contrast to humility, or as its opposite. Now, in Proverbs 16, 18 to 19, it says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride is going to be coming up behind me here. might be defined as an exaggeration of one's worth or importance or abilities. A proud man is one who believes he is much better than he really is. He is a man who thinks of himself more highly than he ought to think, according to Romans 12.3. Now, humility. Therefore, humility could be defined as not exaggerating one's importance or abilities or self-worth. It's not exaggerating any of this. Now, we can see some examples of this in the Bible. In fact, one of the chief, of course, of, of all of them is Jesus Christ himself. And it says in Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He lowered himself to taste of the worst of human fears. He did not have to do... I made a statement to someone in Bible study here this uh, Tuesday. And the statement was this, and I've said it before the church, and I will continue to say it until the day that I die. If I, let me let me phrase this correctly, I would not serve a Savior that did not know what I have to go through every day. I am not serving Zeus on Mount Olympus with those lightning bolts. I'm serving a Savior that has tasted everything that I have tasted. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to have to go through day by day what I've gone through. He knows that. He knows what death tastes like. He tasted that for us. And for me to serve one that had not realized or never could know what I have to endure or you have to endure every day, I couldn't serve a Savior like that. My Savior is not one who just came down here and was, and was had robed in royal robes, if you would, and, and came down and had everything given to Him and everything possible. He, he tasted everything that was fine. He did not. He was humble all the way through. He did not have...
have a place to lay his head. He did not know where his next meal would come from. He did not know what was going to happen to him the next day. He felt everything that we feel, every fear that we feel, every sense of distaste that we feel. He felt it. Are you understanding? Don't ever get to the point where you think that you're something when you're nothing. Don't ever get to the point where you do not realize the power of the Jesus that we serve and how great He is and how much He's endured for our sake. Saul, who became Israel's first king, is another prime example of humility. Now, after Samuel the prophet had anointed soil with oil and had prophesied to him about his future stature with God, describing imminent signs, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 10, it says that God gave him another heart. And the people began to whisper that Saul was among the prophets. Yet when Samuel gathered the people together for the purpose of announcing a king and Saul was selected, he could not be found. In fact, God had to reveal to them that Saul was hiding himself amongst the stuff. It was interesting. I was reading this and I remember what Brother Cisco talked about in Genesis where all the... The stuff that that they were trying to take with them to Egypt and how they had to leave some of that behind. In this case, it wasn't Saul's stuff that he was hiding in. It was Saul hiding amongst other people's stuff. He had a sense of humility about him. It wasn't a matter of what he had. And even though later he turned the other way, he did start out in the right way. And if anybody had a right to be a little bit proud, it would have been Saul at the beginning. The Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. He was bigger than the normal Jew. But yet he had that sense of humility, and that's what, that's what God recognized in him at the beginning. And even though he knew the end from the beginning, he still recognized that sense of humility. If there was going to be a king in Israel, he was going to be a humble king. So we see him hiding amongst the stuff. He, and he could have confidently shown his face that day. And, and he could have boldly asserted his position, a, a newly crowned king. But humility would not let him think more highly of himself, of his abilities, or of his importance than, than he ought. It's like some young men. You watch them in the church every so often. And they got this, this high degree of of uh, pride in their looks and their ability to talk to the ladies. You know, you see them. And, and, you know, I watch the girls sometimes when somebody they don't want to talk to is trying to talk to them. And they're just being kind. And this guy thinks, wow, you know, this girl really thinks I'm cool. When in reality, they think you're cold. In reality, they don't want anything to do with you. But, you know, it's good that, that we, we don't tell people exactly what sometimes they need to hear. <laughs> sometimes they need to hear that, that you know, you, you're not what you think you are. You're not nearly as great as you think you are. We get young preachers up here all the time and lie to them like dogs. Oh, you preach such a fine message. And in reality, they turn to the person next to him and say, Boy, what's he going to get done? I have to say one thing about all of our ministers. I've never seen one of them leave here thinking they did a great job. 
no matter whether you've told them or not, because I've taught them throughout the years, don't ever believe what anybody tells you from out there. The good thing about that is when they criticize you, you don't have to believe it either. (laughs) David was likewise anointed to be king long before he actually became king. And at any point along the way, he could have boasted of his status. At one point in his early life, he was fleeing from a jealous Saul when fortune seemed to have dropped the angry king right into his lap. And David and his defenders were hiding in a cave. And Saul decided that he was going to camp right at the mouth of the cave. And all of David's men, just, they just tiptoed past the sleeping Saul. And Saul could have been killed by David right then. But he didn't. And what kept him from killing him, even though in Eastern custom he would have had the right, and he would have immediately been placed in as king. But his humility, he was not going to take the crown by killing Saul. If God wanted him to be king, then God was going to be the one that put the crown on his head. And that humility is what took David so far. He had every right he could have done it, but he didn't do it. He waited for God. And God helped every one of us to wait on God for a lot of things that we think we're ready for. God help us to be sure that we're right in what we're getting ready to do. God help us to have the humility to back down and to wait and be sure everything's right. So many people are laying by the wayside tonight because they got ahead of God. Their pride pushed them. They let someone tell them this is what you need to do when it wasn't what they needed to do. Let us look at the work of humility in our our daily lives. First, as it relates to supplication, which really is is our prayer life. Uh, Also, our service, which is our cooperation with the actual work of God. And our status, which is the rank and position or authority to which we're promoted. Now, humility and supplication... Humility and pride are are contrasted frequently throughout the Bible, but one of the clearest contrasts might be found in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Now, it's not going to come up, but if you get a chance to read it, you should. This is where Jesus contrasted the prayer of a Pharisee to that of a publican. Both were in the temple. Both had gone there for the purpose of praying. The Pharisee's prayer revealed pride in his heart. I am so glad that I'm not like that publican over there. And it was obvious from his prayer that he was thinking more highly of himself than he ought. But the publican, on the other hand, did not come into the temple. See the Pharisee and cry, he's no better than I am. He didn't do that. He just simply looked to heaven and pounded his breast and he said, God have mercy on me. From this example, we can deduce that pride or humility are often revealed in our prayers. Humility sees its own sins and not the sins of others. And when it prays, it reflects that. There's a story about a pastor, and it wasn't me, so don't take it personally. He overheard an example of a modern-day Phariseeism in his own church. He happened to hear a lady, which was a member of his church, praying in a group of people around the front of the church at the altar. Her prayer was this. She said, Oh, Lord, you've been really good to me. I look around and see some of the poor people coming to our church, and I realize that but for the grace of God, there go I. But you have blessed me more than you have them, and I don't know why you have favored me over them, but I am thankful that you did. 
Now, it grieved the pastor to hear this. Because there is a sense in which her prayer could be said to be proper and that in the sense that it expresses thanks to God for his blessings, but it is untrue to assume that apparent physical blessings mean that God has favored one person more than the other. Than the other. Then you think that you're more blessed of God because you drive a better car or wear better clothes than you were in the wrong place. That has absolutely nothing to do with blessings. Nothing to do with blessings. My God, listen, to the devil can give you nice things. And I'm not telling you you're a devil if you have nice things. I'm just saying that he can give you nice things. Do not believe that. If anything, if God has blessed you, then you need to spread what God has blessed you with. Monetary or physical blessings are not indicative of God's liking, one person more than another. And that was a comparison that, that really bothered this pastor. And that's what he objected to. Now, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, but they refused to hear it. And modern-day Pharisees are no more likely to respond well to rebukes than the ancients were. Now, this lady could not see that she was filled with the spiritual pride and in desperate need of humility. Now, the Bible teaches us that humility is a prerequisite to prayer. If my people, who are called by my name, should what? Humble themselves and pray. Do you think that maybe prayers are not answered because we don't have the right attitude of humility? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their lands. Could it be that we don't get the healing? I, I, you know, a statement was made during preaching one night, I don't remember which night, that we need to get over the attitude and spirit of poverty, which we do. But on the other side of that, if I, if I as a man of God or you as a child of God, who, whatever we may be in this wonderful kingdom of God, if we could humble ourselves before God, maybe the healing in our own lands would occur. Instead of every time that something good happens to us, we just type flaunt it before somebody. Look what God has done for me. I understand something. It's good to give God... <laughs> Praise for us. I gotta get this correct or everybody's gonna be messed up. Okay, it's good to give God praise for what He's done for you, but be sure when you're waving it in front of Rob's nose or my nose that you've got the right attitude about it. I had so much spiritual pride while I was fishing with Brother Cisco that I chummed the lake to catch a six pound catfish just so I could beat him. And I've not got over it yet. I've not repented yet. <laughs> You'd have to understand him. He is so stinking competitive that I, I, uh, I have so much fun. <laughs> I enjoy it so much. I mean, everybody else, I'm not competitive. <laughs> Ushers, would you take my wife out, please? <laughs> I mean, now you would have been proud of me. I chummed that big old catfish in there. I took a worm, no, 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 nothing on. He was just sucking that feed right up, and I just threw that worm out there. He just sucked it right down. I hogged back, and I started yelling. He was across the pond. I started yelling, oh, look what I got. It was just, you know, carrying on. I didn't tell him I was chumming it in. <laughs> 
we can get so, so prideful and, and we can be, we can get excited about what God has done for us. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to be excited about what we need to praise God for every blessing he's ever given us. But we just have to be sure of our attitude when we're telling someone else about it. Am I telling someone else because I'm truly giving God praise or am I bragging about it? One man of God told me one time he had a guy down. He said he was, he was praying at the altar. He said he was confessing his sins. And he said he confessed them and confessed them. And he said, I finally grabbed him and shook him and said, Buddy, you said, you're not confessing, you're bragging. And that's the truth sometimes. Sometimes people get to the point where they brag about all that they've done. <clears throat> so if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, we need to look. We need to look in our prayer life for how we are approaching God and how we desire to approach God. I think more of us need that approach. God, have mercy on me, a, a sinner. story about the little boy every every night he went to bed he would get down and he would pray and he would just you know he would just uh, tell, tell God that how how much that he appreciated everything that he had done and and he would repent of the day and and just and just and just tell God how much that he enjoyed his presence. And you know, every night he would do the same thing, and every night he would do the same thing and and one night he went to bed he forgot to pray. And the devil woke him up and told him to pray. And the little boy that looked at it, you know when i'm i'm sorry the little boy got down and 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 uh, and began to pray and and an angel came down and talked to the devil said talk to the devil said why did you wake him up to pray he said because if he had not prayed that night the next night he would have spent the all, whole time repenting and he said repenting is what i hate and i believe that with all of my heart we can pray, and we can, and it's, it's great. It's great to give God thanks and praise. But repenting is what the devil hates, because there's not a one of us, there's not a one of us in here that doesn't make a mistake through the day. There's not a one of us that doesn't sin of some kind during the day. And when we get down and repent, it just scares the devil to death, because he doesn't want us repenting. And we have got that. that this, is, this is the key with, with humility. A person with a humble heart will be the person who gets down and repents. Regardless of how good he's been that day, he'll realize that there is something that I've missed. I'm not telling you you have to spend two hours repenting and beating yourself up and feeling guilty, but every one of us needs to start a prayer with repentance. You know, the woman that was overheard by her pastor would not be likely to confess her faults to those she referred to in her prayer. Perhaps that is the value of the comments of James uh, when he made the, the comment. I don't know if I gave you that in James or not. Um, Confess your faults one to another, James 5.16. It's not, don't worry about it. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Because, because in that case, 
and, and this is another area that we have to be careful, and I've, I've been here before, it's very difficult for us to confess our sins and our faults to one another, especially when people enjoy taking that and using it against you. Okay, and there are people. If, there's, if there was ever a way for a congregation to be able to trust one another and to love one another with the kind of love to where that they could go to somebody and say, I had this thought today or I did this today, would you help me pray? And not be afraid of that person going to someone else and spreading it throughout the church. Are you hearing me? If we could ever get to that point... Do you realize how strong we would be? How much of a unit we would be? Because we, we, we love one another. We don't want to see. I don't want to see him fall. I don't want to see him fail. If he's got something he's done today, I'm going to help him pray through it and get victory over it. I don't want to see him fail. You see, if you've got humility, you realize that that could be you. And I look at him and I say, he's made a mistake today, something he's done. That can be me tomorrow and I want him praying for me. That's humility. That's what James was talking about. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught more of humility and prayer when he denounced the public praying of the hypocrites who loved to pray to be seen of men. He said, Be not ye therefore like unto them, said Jesus in Matthew 6, 8. He instructed, Enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret in Matthew 6, 6. The caution here is not against praying where men can hear, but against wanting men to hear. You know, a lot of people take that and say, I'm not supposed to pray in public. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, if you are praying so that men will hear you, then that's the wrong. It's not a matter of, of getting together and praying and having a prayer meeting. We need to do that. That's the important. That's, that's very, very important. You know, it's, it's, not, it's wanting men here. Then the purpose of prayer must be loftier than gaining the admiration of men. It must be to commune with the Almighty. The next one is humility and service. Every church needs those kinds of members who volunteer their talents and services readily. And there's no pastor or church leader who likes to be put in the position of feeling that he's the beggar for labor. I hate that. You see, this is where my pride kicks in. This is where I need, I'm confessing to you, all right? They may hear, but I'm confessing to you. If I have to beg you to do something, I'll just do it myself. You know, it's nothing like calling somebody and saying, can you go, can you do this? Well, i gotta, I got to cook supper for my family. And no matter what, you can say, you can say, I'm just giving you grief now. Uh, uh, you can say, well, I, I'll do it, and it, it's already done to me as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, if you said, oh, I would love to. I had a big smile on my face. I finally found that secret person, that person that I didn't think existed, that really wants to do something. Not looking for anything else. You know, just wants to do it because they want to do it. I'm just telling you how that's my problem. You know, thankfully, most churches have a supply of talented and willing people, and we do. We do here. And statistics tell us that there's an average. It used to be a 10% average, but it has gone up to 15. 
15% of the 100% will be the ones who volunteer to do things. It's like the person who comes by and says, boy, the, the bushes need to be trimmed or grass is high. And they call me and tell me about it. I say you're supposed to call Rob. Hear that? Call Rob. He's a, or, or Brother Davis. You know, they're, they're the deacons. Jason, Rick, call them. You know, let them take care of it. Or even better, you do it. Oh. <laughs> that was revelation. That just came all at once. Yeah. You know, if you see it needs to be done, then you ought to do it. And no one likes it. And thankfully, again, 15% of the, of the membership of the average church can actually be counted on consistently to help with finances or physical labor. You know, one can only imagine what kind of church could develop if, if one half of its members gave consistently of their money and their labor. What if one half did it? You know, everybody, I, I, you know, the push that we have for outreach, and, and we, we really have a, we, we have a lot of people that do a lot of things here. And first off, before I say any more, I appreciate all of you that do it with all of my heart. But those of you that don't get involved, you would never know what it's like to really win a soul till you get yourself out and involved. Until you are a part of somebody that you've witnessed to on the street or somebody, your next door neighbor, and you've come down here and you've prayed with them and you've heard them speak with other tongues as the Spirit give the utterance. You don't know what it's like to feel that you're a part of that birthing process. There is nothing like it. The only thing better than that is when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost yourself. It's the next thing to it. It's the next thing to it. And, you know, it it's, it's vital for us. You know, that's humility and service. It's wanting to be a part. The Bible says that Jesus served others, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, in Mark ten forty five. Now, if Jesus came to minister, that is to serve others, then, then let a man not call himself Christian if he's sitting on a church pew and refusing to serve others. Churches are full of sitters. I got to tell us he's not here. Brother Down came. To, we were talking Sunday morning, and and uh, I knew he could, he couldn't come to a couple of uh, nights to the revival because he had his kids. And Brother Down has a hard time keeping his kids crowd. And when his wife's not there, he's pulling his hair out. You know, he's it's hard on him. Um, and most of the men in here would say the same thing, but you know, we're all you know, it's hard on you, isn't it? Yeah. And so, so he's, he's having this time. Well, he came to me Sunday morning, and I told him, and I'm serious. I said, I keep praying for that, that anointed person who's got nothing but an anointing in nursery. We'll call it the nursery anointing. They'll come, and all they want to do is they know that they can't make it to heaven unless they work the nursery. Every service, they work the nursery. And they're just, they just, kids go in there and that anointing's there and they're just immediately out. You know? <laughs> and so I'm saying this and Brother Donnie comes over and he says, you know, he said, I've been praying for the same thing. I said, you have? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you realize what you've just done? And he said, what's that? I said, God has put it on your heart. And he looks at me and he gets this horrible look in his face. He really does. It... 
horrible look on his face. And, you know, like, oh, I, 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 he couldn't, he was speechless. And he's not very, very speechless. He was speechless. So every time you see him, be sure you let him know about the nursery anointing, all right? <laughs> you know, we don't need sitters. <laughs> yeah, we do, and a different kind. What is needed now are servers. And the more humility we acquire, the more willing we are to serve others. For our unwillingness to serve usually stems from our thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. Let's, let's get into there just for a moment. What is that person who every time you have something to do, they always can't do it? They're never involved when you have a men's work day. Is it because they think highly of themselves that they are above this? I'm too busy getting a message. Got to study. Got to cook dinner for my family. You know, it's a, it's a frightening sign of spiritual backsliding when a church ball game produces more participants in a church prayer meeting, isn't it? Yeah. In our case, it's a hog roast. You know, we get a hog roast, we have a picnic, you have everybody there. But when it comes to coming out to mow the lawn or paint the church, that's a different story. You know, that's, the, that's sad. And we have good help, and i got good men. And again, I'm saying this, but I'm saying that for those of you that are not participating, do you think more highly of yourself than you ought? You know, one author recently listed two revealing signs of genuine humility. This is two, and this is very good, two revealing signs of genuine humility. One is a non-defensive spirit when confronted. And by that he meant that when a person is confronted with a rebuke or with a task, he's not defensive. He who is defensive is not humble because he thinks more highly of himself than he ought. When you're defensive, then you think highly of yourself. Another, another one, or a second one rather, is the authentic desire to help others. He referred here to a, a sensitive, spontaneous awareness of the needs of others. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, Matthew twenty twenty seven. Almost everyone in any church will accept a position if it does not ask too much of their free time. Too many positions become name only instead of functional. Any person will accept the office of a Sunday school superintendent provided he does not interfere, or does not interfere with his Saturday free time and provided the teachers all cooperate. That's a pipe dream, isn't it? Most any person will be a trustee provided he does not have to actually put his name on any dotted line. Most everyone will be a Sunday school teacher if they don't have to study too hard or not required to attend any teacher's meetings and take, that take place during the week. Right? Humility and status is the next one. Much of, of what was stated in the preceding section will apply here as well, but we'll carry it just a little bit further. There are two areas of concern when speaking of status. I want to describe them in this way. Number one, those who desire status, status being recognition or preeminence. Number two, those who gain status through no personal effort on whom the mantle of leadership has fallen. Elisha is a good example of the mantle of leadership, but he was willing to pour water over the man of God's hands. He listened. Too many people had the mantle fall on them who are not willing. They want to go ahead and do what they want. They want to go ahead and say, I'm a, and I'm just using this, I'm an assistant pastor or I'm a, a deacon or whatever, but you don't do nothing. 
name only. You know, the first category, those who seek status, should know that their predecessor can be found in Diotrephes in 3 John 9. That should come up behind me here. And that their character traits are listed along with his. I wrote into the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now let's look at this. Number one, he said they speak against the ministry of the church, sometimes with malicious words. Just leave that up there. They do not fellowship with the ministers and would probably be very uncomfortable with a drop-in visit from them. They let others know that if they disagree with them regarding their opinions toward the ministry or any authority thereof, that they will not be included in their circle of friends, and if they can find the power, will try to prevent their coming to church at all. Because they don't agree with them. You know, we don't have that here. But there are churches that do. There are churches that do. You know, a careful study of 3 John 9 11 will reveal uh, the above characteristics of a person who loveth to have the preeminence. When a person wants preeminence, he does not have a humble spirit. The second category, those who do not seek status, but status fell upon their shoulders anyway, can, be, can find their predecessors in nearly all of the Bible's leaders. One need not be a scholar to discover that Joseph, Moses, Jonah, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and almost every other leader of God's work was at first reluctant to take upon himself the mantle of leadership. Joseph knew through his dreams that God was going to bestow upon him some great thing, but he did not know just when it would take place. While being sold by his brothers and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he did not seek to elevate himself. He simply lived and, and waited. He was no seeker of status. He was simply an honest and humble man upon whose shoulders God was going to place great responsibility, which would result in a great status among men. He didn't seek it. God put it on him. Moses stayed away from his kinsmen for 40 years. I'm going to talk more about him Sunday morning. For 40 years, he, he stayed away from his kinsmen. You, you ever stop and think about the stutter that Moses had? For 40 years, he did nothing but stay on the backside of a desert and talk to sheep. You would stutter if you talked to people too after that. You wouldn't know how to talk. 40 years? My wife keeps saying that she wished I was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. She said, you know too much about talking. He said, it's all you do is talk, talk, talk. You know, God came to him in a burning bush after 40 years. The mantle of leadership fell on him. He didn't ask for it. Paul, first called Saul, had no intention of gaining any status in the Christian kingdom, for he had sought diligently to persecute, persecute them. And he, he aimed at no personal glory, but the call of God came to him, and with it came a certain status among the church. So it is today that the call of God often comes to the unsuspecting. A man is not aiming at any kind of recognition or status, but it is merely doing what he is capable of and doing his best. And suddenly a position is offered to him or a, a mild form of honor comes for a job well done. And how he handles such status is largely determined by how much humility he possesses. 
if he has been blessed of God because he has done a job well, he has probably been a humble man. But if the newly gained status or the recognition of men inflates his feelings of self-worth, he's in danger of losing the very humility that first gained him the favor of God. And you would believe that in the church that wouldn't happen, but it still does. People are still people. And sometimes with just a little bit of recognition, just a little bit of preeminence, if you please, the head of that person say, gets really big. Now, let me give you an example. Any man that is good at, uh, at timber, taking down a tree, he uses, isn't that true now? You, you've done this. He uses the weight at the top to judge where the tree is going to go. And it's the same way with the devil. He uses the weight at the top. How big is your head? And he'll make you topple by how big your head is. So it's important to realize that big head can often destroy you. Position often precedes pride. And pride often precedes a fall. Position precedes pride. Pride precedes a fall. Be careful how big a head you get. It's helpful to to want in such a position if he can remind himself occasionally. If you're in a position, you have preeminence, remember these things. He and the other fellow, the one who does not hold his status, were both made by the same God. By the same God. By the same God. That's another way of saying that we all put on our socks the same way. You know, you think you're something special, just remember that you and the other guy who didn't get the position still made by the same God. And God can change things. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed with no respect of persons in mind and is given as generously to the one of low degree as the one of high degree. Pride will cause him to stumble and to lose the favor of God. He is no greater than his master, Jesus, and and if Jesus came to serve, so must that person. His position, therefore, does not entitle him to be served, but rather to serve. That's what the position entitles you to. Humility has its reward. It's impossible to improve upon the parables of Jesus for their value in giving insight into the virtues of Christianity. A parable that is found in Luke 14, 7 and 11 pictures a man who went to a feast and he chose his seat in the highest room, assuming, no doubt, that he would be considered among the most honored guests. But one more highly esteemed came and he who chose the high room for himself was asked to step down and seat himself in the lower room. A feat he accomplished with shame. Now, wouldn't that be embarrassing? Better, the Lord says, that a man would choose the lowest room and then the host may come to him and say, Friend, go up higher. And then follows the verse, Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In Luke fourteen eleven, A person should never allow himself to criticize one in position. Most often he is in position because he humbled himself and God honored his humility by elevating him to the place he is in. And if he continues to maintain his humility, God shall likely continue to elevate him. Someone said it well, the way up with God is always down. Always down. Humility is or is not, raise your hand, a certain mournful look on one's face. Is or is not. My face didn't work good. If I walk up to you and give you one of these, it won't work. Okay. 
Humility is or is not a certain tone of voice. Humility is or is not a self-put-down. Is not? All right. Humility is or is not self-punishment. Go ahead. Good, good. I like for new people to answer questions. I'll just go with you from the rest of them, okay? <laughs> she got the Holy Ghost Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Holy Ghost Sunday night. <laughs> The Bible teaches us that humility or pride is a prerequisite to prayer. Oh, come on. Go ahead. What? Humility. Humility is a prerequisite. Now, can you tell me what scripture that is in? Oh, come on. Huh? What? Chronicles? It's right. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Statistics tells us that the sab average of less than fifteen or fifty percent of the membership of the average church can actually be counted on to consistently help with the finances and physical labor. Fifteen? Someone didn't raise her. Was that you, Heather? Did you not? <gasps> Oh, it was her. It was both of them. These northern people over here, you always got to be careful. You got to watch them. <laughs> the word minister in the New Testament means to serve or to be served. All right, to serve. An authentic desire to help others is a revealing sign of genuine humility or pride. Humility. Whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased or exalted. And he that humbleth himself shall be... All right. All right. You got that all 100%? Not bad. Give yourself a good hand clap here. Oh, is that humility? Oh. Is that obedience? There we go. Oh, I enjoy these sessions. Let's stand.